Anyway, he noted that Jesus will return at a day when we don't expect it. And so Skeet made a very good point that the sign that Jesus is coming back will be, aha, Jesus is here. There won't be any sign. And so we are exhorted in in the word to be ready, uh, to be diligent, and to be prepared because Jesus may come back at any moment. Well, today we want to continue our discussion of the end times, and we're going to be looking primarily at Revelation chapter 21 and 22. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. But while you're doing that, and before we jump into it, I want to just do a short theology uh, lesson. There is a word uh, called omni, O-M-N-I, omni. It's a prefix. You all probably know what omni means. Some of you will be saying it's an old derelict Dodge automobile, but ignore that part about it. The word omni is a prefix, and what it means is it means all or universally. And omni is a prefix that we use to describe several of God's attributes. For example, we talk about God as being omniscient. The word omni meaning all, and the word shouldn't mean where we get our word science, meaning that God is all-knowing. God knows everything. We also talk about God being omnipresent, which means that God is present everywhere or present universally. God is everywhere. And we also talk about God being omnipotent or omnipotent, which means that God is all-powerful. But did you know that God is also omni-renovational? You probably didn't hear that one. It's a word I just made up. <laughs> omni-renovational. I think it's a good term. It refers to the fact that God is into renovations. God wants to make all things new. He, he likes to... Uh, make things new again, to make them over, to tear things down, build them up, return them, and restore them to their proper order. And we as, as people have that same tendency, don't we? We have this strong desire to renovate. About six years ago, my wife and I decided to downsize. We'd moved all of our kids mostly out of our house, and so we were downsizing. We looked for a long time for a new house, one that would be just perfect. We looked and we looked and we looked, and we rejected hundreds of houses, uh, and finally found the perfect house, and so we bought it. And, of course, the first thing we did, even before we moved in, is we renovated it. We tore out all the carpeting, put in hardwood floors. We turned the, the uh, family room uh, into a study. We turned the study into a TV room. We dug a big hole in the backyard, put in a pool, put all new shrubberies in. Uh, but it was the perfect house. Don't worry. It was the perfect house, but we renovated it. And we all have that tendency, don't we? In fact, there's whole industries that have been built up around Americans' desire to renovate and remodel, right? We renovate just about everything. We renovate cars, motorcycles. We renovate uh, furniture. Whole industries are built around this. And we don't stop there. We, we like to renovate our own bodies, right? We, we go to the gym and, and we lift weights. We go on a diet to lose weight. We, uh, we, we color our hair. And many of us even go so far as having plastic surgery, to renovate and to remain young and to make ourselves like new. But I think where we get that tendency is we get it from God because God is omni-renovational. And where I get that is from Revelation 21 and verse 5. So if you're in your Bibles today, you can either uh, turn there, Revelation 21 verse 5, or you can follow on the screen as we go. We're going to be spending part of our time in Revelation this morning and jumping around in a few different places. Revelation 21.5 says, And he, this is John speaking, uh, he's on the Isle of Patmos, an island uh, surrounded by water, which we'll come back to in just a second. Um, but he's, he sees this revelation, he's writing it, and he says, And he who was seated on the throne, that is God, said, 
Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So God tells John, he says, here, write this down. It's important. I will make all things new. In the end, in the end times, I will make all things new. I will renovate. Now, what's God talking about here? Well, this morning, I want to look and see what our Bible says about what God makes new in the end times. And it addresses the question, when Jesus returns, that is, in the end times, when Jesus returns, what happens to me and what will it be like? Now, some of you may say, well, I know the answer to that. I'll be in heaven and it will be wonderful. And you would be correct. But our Bibles are much richer than that. It tells a much more detail about what's going to happen in the end times. I want to, I want to review that this morning to see what our Bibles tells us about what that will be like and walk through that with you this morning. A lot of things will change in the end times. And we have a fair amount of detail about that. We have details about what I call God's great renovation project. So when God says he's going to make all things new, what I want to do this morning is go through four things, four major things that God will, will make new, four things that God will renovate. The first thing he will is he will renovate the world. Secondly, he will renovate us physically. Thirdly, he will renovate us spiritually and morally. And the fourth thing is he will renovate our relationship with him. So I want to walk through those four things. But before I do, I want to say this. I want to say very clearly that what we're about to talk about is the end state or the end time state for Christians. That is, for those who have trusted in Jesus as their personal Savior. The good news and the bad news story in our Bible is very clear. We, every one of us, has sinned. Me too. And the penalty for that sin is eternal damnation in hell. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus came down to earth in the form of a man and died on the cross, and his death paid the penalty for all of those sins. And if the Bible says if we believe in Jesus, that is, if we believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus died on the cross for the penalty of our sins, and if we place our sincere faith and trust in Jesus, all of the penalty for our sins will have been paid for, and God will see us as holy. And we then will be able to go to heaven. Now, if you haven't done that, if you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Savior, this end state we'll talk about this morning is not for you. There is another end state, and it's an ugly one. And it's called hell, and it's a time of eternal torment and pain. So, if you're here this morning, and you haven't trusted in Jesus, or if you're not sure, would you please come up to me afterwards and just walk up and say, tell me about how to get to heaven. Because what we're about to talk about here is the end state for Christians. And it's a glorious and a wonderful place, and you don't want to miss out. Okay? So let's take a look at God's great renovation project, where God said he would make all things new. The first thing he said he would make new is he said he would renovate the world. The Bible says that in the end times, God will make a new heaven and a new earth. That is, the end state in the end times for Christians will be a place in eternity where it will be a totally new and renovated place. A totally new and renovated place. What God created in Genesis, he is going to remodel at the end of the age. He's going to renovate it. Isaiah prophesied about this in Isaiah 65, which I'll read for you. Uh, Isaiah said, the Lord says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, 
And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Paul prophesied about this also in the book of Romans, chapter 8. He said, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, the wording is a little tricky, but what he's basically saying is that what God created is suffering. It's, in, it's, it, it's a slave to corruption and decay. We call this, this thing entropy. If you're an engineer, you know that all things decay and, 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 go, and go, go away. And so we live in a world that decays all the time. And any of you that have wood siding in your house know that it just decays. But Paul's saying that's not going to be in, in, in the future. In the future, creation will be freed from that bondage to decay and will be brought into glory. Revelation 21 says it most clearly. Revelation 21, verse 1 and 2 says, this is again John speaking, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The place where you will live forever in the end state is a renovated earth. It's an unbelievably beautiful, rich, illustrious, and glorious place. And John describes it as a new city, what he calls the New Jerusalem. And it'll be a glorious city. Today, because we don't have time this morning, you should read all of chapter 21 of Revelation and the first five verses of chapter 22. A lot of detail, a lot of rich things. But let me just summarize for you what's in there, and and you can read it later on your own. First of all, he says that this new city, this renovated earth, will be large. Now, we don't know exactly how large. If we take literally the dimensions that John mentions in chapter 21, it will be about half the size of the United States in in land mass, but it will go up 1,380 miles into the sky. So it will be big. Second thing, he says, is that there will be no sea. I find that kind of funny, but in, Paul, in, in John's days, you remember, he's on an island. He's trapped there, so everything, he's surrounded by the sea. And in John's day, the sea was a place of evil. Heavy storms, uh, death, uh, hurricanes, uh, marauders, bandits came from the sea. And so John's both symbolically and literally saying, in this new earth, there won't be any sea. There won't be evil there and no great large bodies of water. He says it will be a rich and glorious place. The city itself and all the streets were made of gold, but gold polished so well that to John it looks like glass, and you can almost see through it. It's almost, it's almost, uh, it's almost like like glass that you can see through. He describes the walls around the city to be dressed in in thousands of jewels, jewels of all kinds of different kinds, richly ornamented. The gates themselves will be made out of giant pearls. It'll be a beautiful place. The city itself will have a high wall around it, but the gates will always be open. The walls represent that there's protection, that there's no danger within the city. And the fact that the gates are open is symbolic of the fact that there's no danger that could possibly even come into the city. So it will be a very safe place. He talks about light, and he says there won't be any need for the sun or the moon or any street lights because God will be there, and God's glorious radiance will light up the whole city at all times. Everything will be clean and bright. It says that we will drink water that flows from God and that we will drink freely. It says that we will eat from the tree of life. 
You remember the tree of life in the garden that Adam and Eve ate from, and they were forbidden to eat from that. And in, in this new heaven and new earth, the tree of life will be there, and we will eat regularly from its fruit. Therefore, we will live forever. There will be work for us to do, but it won't be burdensome, toilsome work. That was the curse of the fall. But in the end time, we will enjoy our work. God will be there. So in this new heaven and new earth, the idea is, when we see this Jerusalem coming down from heaven, the idea is that somehow earth and heaven will be merged. Heaven being the dwelling place of God, will be combined with a new heaven and a new earth in one place. And we will be there with God. And we will serve God, it says. We will have responsibilities. We will get treasures. We will get rewards. We will reign there with God and we will worship God. And so the new heaven and the new earth will be a place of great beauty and abundance and joy. The second thing that God will renovate is that he will renovate us physically. We'll get new bodies Ski talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But I want to dig into it a little bit further this morning. It's a great renovation project. Is when you die, if you were to die today, before Jesus comes back, your body will be put in the ground or cremated, and your soul will be separated from your body and go directly into heaven. During that short period of time, until Jesus comes back, you will be what we call a disembodied soul. Your character, your personality, your very being will exist, but you won't have a body. Now, our Bibles don't tell us too much about how that existence will be. It will obviously be a spiritual thing because you won't have a physical body. But it will obviously be a good thing because you'll be in the presence of the Lord. But all that changes. It isn't intended that we, we spend the rest of eternity as a disembodied soul. It's God's intention that the rest of eternity we would spend in a physical way. And so... We know in Scripture that your final state is in a resurrected body. Your body will be resurrected when Jesus returns. It will be reunited with your soul. Paul talks a lot about the resurrection of our bodies in his writings. And he says that Jesus' body was resurrected as the first fruits. First fruits re- referring to something that comes first and it will be followed later by many others. In 1 Corinthians 15... Verses 22 and 23, Paul writes, For as in Adam all die, all of us will eventually die physically, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And he says, But each to his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, that is when he comes again, those who belong to Christ. And so when Jesus comes back, as the firstfruits, just like Jesus body was resurrected, ours will be too. So what will your resurrected body be like? Well, our Bible tells us something about that also. Paul says your resurrected body will be like that of Jesus. It will be a glorious body. Philippians three twenty and 21 says very clearly, but our citizenship is in heaven. Paul is writing now about the end times. He says we are citizens, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, that is from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Referring to Jesus coming again in the future. And then he says, Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Transform our lowly bodies, that is the skin and bones that you see here now, will be transformed. Not destroyed and replaced, but transformed, renovated. 
into something glorious like Jesus' glorious body. John in 1 John 3 says something like, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. In other words, when Jesus comes back, when we get resurrected, our bodies are resurrected, reunited with our souls, our bodies will be like Jesus' resurrected body. Paul says the resurrection is a a little bit like planting a seed. Where you take a seed of something like wheat and you put it in the ground. And it seems to die. It disappears. But then it, it resurrects itself up through the dirt. But it doesn't come back as a seed. A little seed doesn't come popping out of the dirt. A large stalk of wheat comes out. So what goes in comes out very similar, but better and bigger and more radiant. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about it some more. And he says in 1542 and 43, Paul says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. Talking again about the seed, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown is in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It's like a seed that grows into a plant. There's continuity between the seed and the plant, but there's a big difference. You will look somewhat like you do now. I think that's evident from what Paul writes. We'll be able to recognize one another, but we'll be dramatically changed. We will be reunited with a perfect, renovated body. Paul says it will be imperishable. It will never die. It will never decay. It will never get old. He says it's glorious. Which means that it's radiant and beautiful and unblemished and flawless. And then he says that it's powerful. Meaning that there will be no weakness or disabilities. And John describes the resurrected Christians that will be present in this new heaven and new earth in in Revelation 21.4. Where John writes, He that is God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So there will be no tears, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. Why? Because we will have these perfect bodies. And so all those things won't be present on the new heaven and the new earth. And so our language will change. And so many of the words that we use so commonly from day to day will disappear. Words like arthritis and canes and walkers and wheelchairs, prescription glasses, hearing aids, pacemakers, knee replacements, chemotherapy, radiation treatments, medicine, beauty parlors, health clubs, weight loss clinics, hospitals, doctors, nurses, dentists, morticians, funerals, death. We won't need those words anymore. Because we'll have perfect resurrected bodies. We'll just have healthy, beautiful, imperishable, glorious, powerful people. Because our omni-renovational God will give us renewed and perfect bodies. So that's the second part of the renovation. The third part of his renovation is that God will renovate us spiritually and morally He will make us sinless. The Bible tells us that because of Adam's sin in the garden, each of us, man and woman, inherits a sinful nature. Some people refer to that as radically depraved. 
that at our very core of our nature, we are sinful people and we're bent towards evil in almost everything that we do. Romans 3 says it this way, No one is righteous, not one. There are none who do good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when we trust in Jesus, all of our sins are forgiven. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts and things get better. But they don't get perfect, do they? We have the Holy Spirit living in our heart. But we still have this sinful nature around us. And so what happens is we wind up in this weird situation where we're always in this internal struggle. And it's like an internal civil war where our selfish nature, our flesh, as Paul describes it, wants to do what we want to do. And most of the time it's sinful. But the Holy Spirit living in our hearts wants us to do good. And so we have this struggle. And you would think that the Holy Spirit would win every time because He's much stronger than we are, but we have the ability to resist the Holy Spirit. And so we have this constant struggle between wanting to do it our own fleshly way and the Holy Spirit taking us in a godly way to be more like Jesus. And so we have this internal civil war. Paul wrote a lot about this in Romans 7. He writes this, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And it's a difficult civil war that rages inside of us. And those of you who have trusted in Christ and want to live a godly life know that. Know that struggle. But it's not intended to be a permanent condition. God promises that one day we will be released from that internal struggle. In the end times. Peter writes about this in 2 Peter 3.13. He says, But according to His, that is God's promise. According to God's promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. That's a key that comes in the end times. In which righteousness dwells. Peter says that in this new heaven and new earth, there will be righteousness living there. In the end times, God will renovate us spiritually and morally. He'll make us Righteous, sinless, pure, and holy, just like Himself. We see this in Revelation 21, if you turn back there for just a second. Revelation 21, 1 and 2 says, Then I saw, we read this before, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now that last phrase, they're prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, is an odd way of describing a city coming down out of the sky onto earth. But many of you know that this idea of a bride is a common biblical theme. It's a little weird, particularly for guys. But the imagery is that we as Christians are the bride and are looking forward to the marriage to the groom who is Jesus. And so this imagery says that in the end times there will be the wedding of the Lamb where Christians will be united with Jesus in a relationship much like a perfect marriage, a perfect love relationship. Now, drop on down to verse 9 in Revelation 21. 
It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now it's very clear here that, that this angel is about to show John a picture of Christians coming into the new heaven and the new earth. The bride, the wife of the Lamb. It's very clear he's talking about Christians now. In verse 10 he says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God as radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And this time the angel makes it clear that this new city that's coming down is the people of God. It is Christians who have been reunited with their bodies. And he says that we are adorned or dressed up like the bride of the Lamb. That's us. And how does the Bible then describe us? Well, he says, he says the bride, that's us, will have the glory of God as radiance like a most rare jewel. To make us pure and holy, God will give us His glory in the end times. That's a wild thought. You will no longer have a sin nature. You'll not only get a, a renewed, physical, perfect body, but your very being, your sinful nature, will be taken away and replaced by God's glory. So we will have no more sinful nature. We'll have no more sinful desires. We will be holy like Jesus. Sin will be gone, and so will the consequences of sin. And it's hard for us sometimes to imagine what a sinless place would look like. Because on this new earth where we'll be placed, there won't be any sin. There won't be any pride or arrogance or jealousy. There won't be any sexual immorality. There won't be any adultery. There won't be pornography. There won't be any negligence or insults or abuse. There won't be jealousy or rivalry or envy. There won't be lies or cheating or deception. There won't be any violence, no rape. No murder, no war. It'll just be beautiful people living in their glorious resurrected bodies, going about their business in a sinless way. What we'll see and experience during that period of time will be things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We will be sinless like Jesus. And it will be a great place. And then there's one, a fourth thing, one more thing, the most important part that Jesus will renovate in the end times. He will renovate our relationship. Relationships are important. I have a great relationship with my wife. It's not a perfect relationship. But it's the best relationship I have in this world. And a lot of it is, depends on my senses. I can see my wife. I can look into her eyes. I can follow her down the hall. I can see her physically. And that's a great thing. I can hear my wife. I can hear her voice speak softly. I can hear it speak loudly. I can hear the tone. I can tell by the tone of voice whether she's happy or sad. I can hear her voice from across the house. I can hear her sleeping, breathing softly next to me. I can touch my wife. I can reach out with my hand and I can touch her hand or pat her on the back. We communicate clearly with one another. 
I speak, she listens. She speaks, I listen. We connect emotionally. We connect intellectually. We connect spiritually. We do things together. We hike mountains together. We worry about the same things. We cry about the same things. We rejoice about the same things. There's an intimacy in my relationship with her. And most of it is governed by my physical senses and my ability to communicate clearly with her. Now, try as I might, I'm not able to have that good of a relationship with God. That's partly a confession, but it's partly an observation. No matter how hard I try. Now, God is always with me. He's always there and available to hear me. God sees everything I do, and he knows everything I do, and he provides for me, and he will never fail me nor forsake me, and he protects me, and he loves me unconditionally. But I cannot see God with my eyes. My ears cannot hear his audible voice. I cannot reach out and touch God. I don't usually know what God is doing. And I want a deeper, personal, intimate relationship with God, but it's hard. In the end times, God will change all that. In God's great remodeling project, God will come and he will dwell with man on earth. Heaven, which we call the dwelling place of God, will be united in some weird metaphysical way with earth. And God will literally come and his throne will be on earth and he will dwell with us. And that changes everything. God will renovate our relationship. Revelation 21 says very clearly, 21 verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And if you slide down in that same book, Revelation 22, verse 3 and 4, it says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. That it will be in the new heaven and the new earth where we will dwell. And his servants, that's us, will worship him. And verse 4 says, they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. In the end times when Jesus returns, my relationship with God will be radically changed. It will be renewed. It will be renovated. It will be like in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned. Remember that part where, where Adam was able to walk with God in the garden down the trail. And they would speak face-to-face as a friend does to a friend. We'll get that. My relationship with God will be restored like that. My eyes will see God face-to-face. My ears will hear God face-to-face. I'll be able to walk the streets of gold with Him. I'll be able to ask Him a question and hear audibly His response immediately. I will worship Him face-to-face. Now, I don't know exactly what it would be like. 
I can only imagine. But it will be radically changed. I will have the unimaginable privilege of being with God face to face. And as I look into the face of God, I think I will know how the psalmist felt when he wrote about God in Psalm 16. He said, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. In Psalm 27, he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And when I finally see God face to face, my heart won't want anything else. Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. When I look into the face of God, face to face, and he looks back at me with infinite love, I will know that everything in the universe is good and right and desirable. And in the face of God, as I look at him face to face, I will see his perfect love and his peace and his joy. And when I look into the face of God, I will understand and know firsthand perfect truth and justice and holiness and wisdom and goodness and power, glory, beauty, face to face. God is omni-renovational. He makes all things new. He will renovate the world and give us a new heaven and a new earth. He will renovate us physically and give us new perfect bodies. He will renovate us spiritually and morally, making us sinless and holy. And he will renovate our relationship because we will see him face to face. Omni-renovational. I'm not sure if that term will catch on, but I do know this. One day, forever and ever, we will live in glorious bodies with pure and sinless hearts on a new earth in the very presence and glory of our Lord face to face. That is the day that I long for. That is the day that is coming soon. What a day that will be. Let's pray. Lord God, you are indeed a wonderful God. And it's hard even now for me to imagine what we like the day when your son returns and my body, glorified and perfect, will be reunited with my soul. My soul will be renovated to be perfect and sinless and holy. And we will dwell with you face to face on a renovated earth. Lord God, I don't have any idea how wonderful that will be. But I know it will be wonderful. And it's so good to be able to look forward to the day when your son comes back. And we, you, will be together. All things new. And we thank you for this great and precious promise. And praise you and thank you. Powerful and precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.